Linda Lee told us that we were missing something in our investigations of the Silver Age. While we had spent time with many of the other sidekicks that roamed DC's United States, we hadn't touched one specifically. One that we had mentioned before, but never expanded upon. Her. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. All right. For the two of us, this is kind of a fun little diversion because we have neither of us really have too much experience with the Girl of Steel. Um, My biggest, you know, my biggest experience with her is probably from Crisis on Infinite Earths when she dies. Um, spoiler alert! Oh, you've actually read Crisis. I actually haven't. Oh yeah, no, I've I've read that man. I I own I own the volume of it, the mm-hmm. the, the graphic novel that's connected. That. It's oh boy, that's a trip. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I don't. I haven't really watched the show at all. Not that I not to say anything bad about the show. I hear the show is actually quite fun. I was just trying to chronologically watch through them, and I never got around to it. However, um. Supergirl here is kind of, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to unpack here. And we're going to have to go through that very specifically. Um, but I think, you know, with Joanne's permission, we're just going to jump right into it. Uh, I, and- I do want to interject uh, my own experience with Supergirl. Mm. Because I think it's even less than you. Uh, I, For whatever reason, the different times I've been reading comics have not been like Supergirl eras. Because she's sort of fluxed in and out. My biggest memory is Supergirl in Doomsday collapsing into a pile of pink goop because that was that version of Supergirl. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> I, I believe that that happened 100% actually. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot happening here. So we're going to have to we're going to have to talk about this in general. So, um remember, Supergirl didn't have her own book. She was appearing as a backup story in Action Comics along with the Superman story. So this is very much like Kid Flash, Wally West appearing in Flash comics. However, for whatever reason, the Flash stuff has Wally West in it, and the action comics or Superman stories do not also include the Superman story that goes along with the Supergirl comic. I don't know why. Don't know what the deal is with that. I'm curious to see, or I, I my speculation is that there is so much Superman to print with all of these collections that they can't afford to also print Supergirl stories, despite the fact that he may appear in them, which I think is probably what's going on there. There's just so much Superman content, they can't afford to print both stories at the same time in the same volume of collections. But regardless, um, we're going through, I want to say, two years of Supergirl here to catch up, and then next episode we're going to do another year, and then we'll be caught up with Supergirl since her uh, appearance in action comics, which we did cover in the Superman episodes way back when, but we're going to just recover that again. So we're going to start with action comics number 252, May 1959. So Kara Zor-El, who is of the house of L, is a cousin of Kal-El, who happens to be Superman or Clark Kent. Um, Kara Zor-El lived in Argo City, which is a city on uh, Krypton, which for whatever reason, Somehow, defying the laws of physics, when Krypton detonated, Argo City was a bit of shrapnel that flew off the planet and was so large that it survived and had its own gravitational field and atmosphere still. So her and her family survived in the vacuum of space on this tiny, basically meteorite, or for lack of a better term. Um, and they lived there for quite space, some time. 
Pringle. Yeah, it's a space Pringle. It's a giant. It's a giant planet chip, um, and they live there for a while, and they realize that the 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 ground that they are living on is made of kryptonite. And they're all slowly being poisoned by it. So they made a shield to block it. They live there for a while. A meteorite storm starts to punch holes in the ground that they have, you know, shielded themselves from. And her parents send her on a spaceship to go to a different planet so she can live. They see Superman on his planet and they go, go live there. That's a Kryptonian. He looks like a cool dude. And they fly her off to Earth. Superman and Kara Zor-El meet oh my god, I have a cousin, this is fantastic. Again, we cover this in another episode way back in the day. You can probably go back and listen to that. We talk more about it there. But suffice it to say, Superman is super jazzed to have a cousin, and he says, you should find a place to live. Let's find an orphanage for you to live in, in Midvale, and you can take the name of Linda Lee and wear a, you know, brunette pigtail wig for some reason. And um, that'll be that'll be your secret identity until... The world is ready and you are prepared with your powers to reveal yourself to the world. That's kind of the premise is that Supergirl has all of Superman's powers, plus a couple others, and lives in an orphanage in Midvale while she is learning to control her abilities so that Superman deems it appropriate for her to be revealed to the public at large. And that is her first appearance. Now, her first solo adventure and where the solo adventures start is Action Comics number 253, June 1959, where Kara helps a fellow orphan named Timmy get adopted while avoiding being adopted herself because she doesn't want to reveal that she's Supergirl. She feels it'll be harder if she gets adopted. Um, but she helps Timmy get adopted on Get Acquainted Day. Now, I had to pause at this. So Get Acquainted Day, in theory, sounds like a great idea for an orphanage where the parents are allowed to come and meet the children and spend time with them and see if they'd like to adopt them, which is a smart idea because you want to adopt a child who meshes with your particular family unit and your dynamic within your home. Not a problem. However, it seems as though this is also like a talent show. And it really made me uncomfortable that the idea that orphans have to like, pr- like do talents to prove their worth to these people as opposed to just being a child. And just being a genial child that these people want to adopt. Like, on top of that, it's like, oh, Betsy can sing. So-and-so can dance. And they're like, and Kara helps Timmy do a magic show. And, I, and these parents are like, oh, my God, that's fantastic. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, being a magician, while impressive, is also not a reason to adopt a child. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'm, not a, I'm not an expert. But I, I imagine that adopting a child based off of his hobbies and or skills that he has is no indication of whether or not that's a good fit for your family. <laughs> Let's be clear. The idea that you need to the you need to have some manner of achievement to qualify for love is fucked. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, some some um, something to prove your worth is all that this day mm-hmm. is and i'm like that's super messed up 19 1959 let's not do that and, and for what it's worth like it's not just like the era uh because uh one of the one of the nice things about the way that i read these is i have access to the letters to the editor and a couple issues later like accounting for time for st- someone for the issues to get to shelves and then get back to them and get printed. There is just a scathing letter from a mom just like, Hey, my kids showed me this story. That's fucked. What happened to the untalented and homely children? Good, 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 good. The the response is like, it's a little wishy-washy, but not completely wishy-washy. Like their response is, 
Our story was presented as entertaining fiction and certainly was not intended to offend anyone. We see your point and hope our past record speaks for itself. Yeah. So you get a little bit of the wishy-washy as the, hey, it was just, effectively, it was it was just a joke and we hope our past, like, people who really know us uh, know what we really meant. But on the other hand, they say, we see your point. Yeah, and, and, and so to the credit of Otto Binder and Jerry Siegel, the two guys who are writing these stories at the moment, that never comes up ever again. Yep. So perhaps it is a situation of learning their lesson after making an offensive story and being called out on it. And you know what? Good on you for that. Thanks, DC, for learning. Well, come to think of it, I guess it's it's mostly gone. Uh, there's still undercurrents of it. Like there's the one where the kid is caddying for the golf player and hits three holes in one because Supergirl does the stuff. Uh, and then How- he decides to adopt him. So however, still- however, he well, we'll get to that. But he does say... I was thinking about adopting you already. Yeah. They do they do throw that in there at the beginning. Yeah, it's if nothing else, it hews closer to good. Yeah. There's still just kind of undercurrents that when when we've been primed to look for them are there. Yes, you're right. Uh so we'll move to Action Comics number 254 July 1959. Kara is adopted by snake oil hucksters who use her as an unwitting pawn in a scheme to sell like miracle tonic. And when she finds out that they're doing that, she basically makes it impossible for them to to sell it because she does all the feats naturally and makes them think that their miracle tonic works. They spend all their money to get more of it and then they're out of money and Kara somehow remembers everyone's face with her photographic memory, thanks Kryptonians, and gives everybody their money back in the middle of the night. So, you know, kudos to her. Action Comics number two. Oh, and she then has to be brought back because these people now no longer have any money and they can't afford to, to raise her. And my favorite thing about this is that when there's a block of time where she doesn't realize that these feats that she's doing are... are are being used to sell this product because they're hiding that from her. It's just, oh, hey, come see the the dollish uh, 15-year-old who lifts a giant weight. And it's like, oh, the reason that other people can't lift this is because there's an electromagnet that uh, they only turn on when other people are trying to lift it. And she's just, she's having fun with that. Honestly, it's a little, it's a little bit Dick Grayson uh, because... Or had I already talked about uh, how it's the tricks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's done the she's done the feats. Like there's the electromagnet. Uh, it's a little Dick Grayson because she doesn't mind the trick or the the showmanship aspect of it and the little deception around that. What she minds is that it is bilking people out of actual money. So I really like that. You know, she's a little a little more willing to bend the truth a bit. I guess. And enjoy it. I think that's the key thing is we usually see Superman doing and her actually doing this, these little deceptions to keep her identity secret or to make sure people don't realize, oh, that's why there was oil here or fossils like Superman did a thing, keeping that secret and just kind of winking at the audience. Uh, she actually enjoys this a little more, I think. Yeah, and I, I mean, really like I that mean she views it as entertainment. Like she specifically goes, oh, we're just it's a sideshow is an entertainment thing. She it's like being part of a carnival. Like she thinks that this is just normal. Uh, not not that like oh like this is what you're supposed to do. Or she's like naive. It's just like no, you know, had she been made to be an actor or like a historical reenactment person, I th- feel like she would have enjoyed it just the same. You know, <laughs> but this just happens to be a circus sideshow. So yeah, I think you're right though. She she does kind of like lean into it a bit because she does find it enjoyable. 
Um, Action Comics number 255, August 1959. Kara helps Colonel Tommy Tomorrow of the Planeteers get adopted in the future. Apparently, Tommy Tomorrow is a character who also appears in Action Comics at different times. And so they're doing a little cross-promotion story where she goes into the future and finds him when he's a kid and helps him get adopted when he's a child. So he can, I guess, grow up in a loving family and be Tommy Tomorrow when he grows up. I don't know. It was weird for having no context of the Tommy Tomorrow character. Um, Action Comics number 256, September 1959. Dick Wilson, just another kid at the orphanage, goes out of his way to try and prove that Linda is Supergirl. And of course doesn't because that's never going to happen and never be a plot point because this is just the Superman formula. They can never know. They will never know. And they'll be gaslit into thinking that they do or don't know. So, Dick Wilson, kid number one who tries to do this. We're going to come back to this. This is a recurring theme. Action Comics number 257, October 1959. Linda Supermans to pretend to be a fairy for little kids So uh, during story time and to prove that Tom Baxter, just another orphanage kid, is just a little douchebag who's trying to, you know, make it hard for smaller kids to have the enjoyment of fantasy in their lives. He just shows up one time while she's reading... And uh, he's like, oh, fairies aren't real. Uh, You know, you're stupid for believing it. And she basically just makes a fairy costume and does like a three wishes scenario and makes him look stupid. Uh, Action Comics number 258, November 1959. Superman tests Kara's dedication to remaining hidden by basically baiting her with things that will make her become Supergirl. So Crypto shows up and she plays with Crypto and he's like, oh, I told you never to decide to reveal yourself to anyone and Crypto counts. So you're screwed up. And he banishes her to another planet for a while. And then when she comes back as Clark Kent interviews her and sees if she'll reveal her identity to, to a reporter. Cause he doesn't, she, she doesn't know he's Clark Kent. And then when she figures it out, She reveals herself. He's like, oh, Kara, I can't believe you just say that to anybody. And she's like, I know it's you, Superman. I didn't just reveal it to anyone. And he's like, oh, well, good job. Just don't fuck up. And then that's the end of the story. And I want to call out here uh, because this is the point where something changes of the status quo and will remain changed. Uh, Before now, like you'd mentioned, uh, Supergirl was the reason she couldn't reveal that, hey, Supergirl exists, just period, uh, is because uh, she wasn't ready. Uh, at least that was how Superman put it. From here on out, it's she's the Charles Xavier Gambit. You know how, like, what was it? Uh, Deadly Genesis, I think it was, revealed mm-hmm. that before the X-Men, like, got back together for all new X-Men. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, he, they, they had, a, they had a, a team before the X-Men, essentially. He had a, he had a proto mm-hmm. X-Men team on the off chance the X-Men died. Yeah. And it's like, but what if, what if that, but instead we told the reader about it. And it's like, on the one hand, you know, I understand the, the idea of Supergirl as the strategic reserves, but if it hasn't worn on me too much yet by the time we finish these stories, but I, I feel like I'm going to get it feels like I'm going to get bored of that at a certain point. Right, yeah. Superman basically explains that Kara can't reveal herself despite being capable because she's now his ace in the hole. If he's ever in danger, he knows that he can call her. And if the villains know that Kara exists, they'll go after her first, then him. And that's kind of the reasoning he gives, which is kind of silly but ridiculous. Uh, we'll then move on to Action Comics. Uh, number 259, December 1959. Kara, Supergirl's in the past for shits and giggles. She just kind of goes to the, the dinosaur era and protects a bunch of cavemen and cave people just because she feels like it, because she just wants to use her powers for a while, and that's the only time she can. 
Um, Action Comics number 260, January 1960. She saves a man from drowning in the Fountain of Youth and, and in doing so gets bathed in the fountain itself and becomes a baby for a while. So she's Supergirl the baby and stops a bunch of criminals from doing some stuff as a baby inadvertently. Uh, she then grows back to normal size after a period of time, which begs the question, is the Fountain of Youth in the DC Universe a like, like an hourly spell? Hmm. Like, is that only a spell that, we're, like, you have to find it every day, otherwise you'll die? Like, because she clearly didn't, like, get younger for longer periods of time. So, maybe the Lazarus Pit really is the way to go. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so, Action Comics number 261, February 1960. Um, the first appearance of Kara's animal sidekick, Streaky the Cat. Uh, just a stray cat that Kara and the rest of the kids of the orphanage adopt, who's got a little lightning bolt-shaped patch on his side. Um, during this story, Kara is trying to find a way to make an immunity to kryptonite by experimenting on kryptonite, and she turns it into something completely different, which they just refer to as kryptonite X. And she throws it away because it's still kryptonite, but as Streaky gets bathed in the radiation from kryptonite X, he gains superpowers. For some period of time, it's indeterminate, but he gets them for a while and then loses them after some point. So Streaky the cat is now her occasional animal sidekick whenever he stumbles upon Kryptonite X that apparently is just on the grounds of the orphanage somewhere because Kara hasn't found it. So hooray, there's just a deadly thing waiting for her to find in the basement, I think. Uh, Action Comics number 262, March 1960. Happy New Year, by the way, we missed that. Uh, Kara helps save Cal from Kryptonite um, by melting it down, but during that story she tries to build up an immunity to Kryptonite but doesn't realize that it's being eaten from the inside by one of Superman's menagerie creatures, so it actually is getting weaker and she's not getting stronger. It's kind of a, a pointless story because the end result is neither of them are, are any, more <laughs> any more resistant to Kryptonite than they usually were, but it was just a roundabout way of having the two of them get in danger. Uh, Action Comics number 263, April 1960. Um, the orphanage takes in a shipwrecked boy and Kara, you know, is appointed of helping him like learn English and get back to health. And she finds out that he's from another planet. So she takes him to that planet and helps him get reunited with his parents. There's a kind of a weird sort of like Machiavellian Shakespearean conspiracy situation happening on the planet. And the result is it doesn't matter. His parents come back and they're the rightful rulers. It's, it's kind of dumb. It was like a two-page, really complex plot about, like, the royals being assassinated. And then it was like, it doesn't matter. Here's here's your son. Um, Action Comics number 264, May 1960. Um, Kara gets adopted by a cop and his wife, who are actually really, really lovely people and very dedicated to being parents. But they're trying to replace their daughter, who died during a break-in of criminals who tried to kill the father. And um, they realize that this is unfair to Kara because they're trying to replace their daughter. So they bring her back to the orphanage, which was kind of like, sad. I, I want to call out because like they don't I, I feel like they should have leaned further into the hey, oh, wow, we've got we're trying to replace our daughter with you. Like they have it, it was a oh, she would have been your age. This was your room. We have all these dresses that were you. This, you're the same size. She sounds just uh, like her but, kind of a thing. Yes, yes. Uh, but the reason they bring her back is actually because it's dangerous because the cop actually had like uh, a gangland shooting happen. Uh, like just people drove by, shot up the house, and their daughter was killed. Yeah. And so I don't think it really touches on the creepy, like almost horror story-ish 
we adopted you, take her name yeah. kind of situation. It's very Edgar Allan Poe. Um, and it and they don't yeah. really talk about that, but and at the same time, I I can definitely see that happening in real life mm. very easily. Oh, yeah. Um so it's to me it's less creepy, more sad because of the vein that it was put in. If had mm. this been a noir story, yes, it would have been it would have been, I would have read that as creepy. Because there's a I think to me there was a difference between like having her try to be that daughter and them just trying to take care of her like she was their daughter. That's fair. Um because they don't like make her change her name. They don't make her change her hair. They're just like, this is all the stuff our daughter had. We just want to give it to you because we want a daughter again. And really what we're trying to do is replace our daughter. And that's not fair to you. The fact that they're aware that that's what's going on makes it less creepy to me. Um, and that's what makes it even sadder is that they both they both come to the internal realization. This isn't right for this girl. Like we need to we need to move on. And I'm like, wow, that's super <laughs> emotionally mature for a comic. <laughs> like that's 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 nuts um action comics number 265 june 1960 due to red kryptonite which now just has whatever the hell power of narrative they want to give it um kara forgets that she has a secret identity and goes to live in smallville like superboy did and just becomes the new reigning defending champ of smallville and everyone's super happy about it because they have another superhero again Superman comes back from space doing whatever the hell it is that he was doing. Goes like, what the shit is going on? I told you to keep a low profile. Finds his amnesia gas that he buried underneath Smallville and gases the whole town. And then eventually, once the red kryptonite wears off, Kara goes, oh shit, did I do a thing? And he's like, yeah, yeah, you did. Don't do that again. So now apparently red kryptonite makes your powers go wacky, makes you forget certain things, and also just like, it just does whatever. There's no like singular effect of red kryptonite anymore. <laughs> red kryptonite is, you know what? Red kryptonite is to green kryptonite as mutants are to Spider-Man. The, oh, I don't have to think of a plot justification for why this power happens. It's just mutation does whatever. Red yeah. kryptonite does whatever. Action Comics number 266, July 1960. Uh, there's a kid at the orphanage who tries to prove that Streaky has powers and basically Kara and Streaky just kind of gaslight him. Un However, Streaky is very intent on making this child happy because he feels bad for him. But uh, he keeps losing his powers at the inopportune moments and Kara keeps having to like cover for him. Um, Action Comics number 267, August 1960. The children of... Cosmic Boy, Lightning Lad, and Saturn Girl, three characters from the Legion of Superheroes, uh, try to recruit Supergirl into the Legion of Superheroes in the future, which is kind of cute and fun and smart. However, again, Red Kryptonite, having now a new power, ages Kara up over 18, so she is now no longer valid to be inducted into their superhero club, and she can't join, so she goes back to the past, and then the Kryptonite wears off and she's young again. So, now it ages you as well. Hooray. Red Kryptonite. The worst of all Kryptonite, apparently. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this this brings up a, a thing that Matt and I were talking about before we started recording is we should probably read enough Superboy that we run into the, the Legion of Superheroes and then just start reading Legion of Superheroes for all of you. Um, mm -hmm. Action Comics number 268. Garden Fox. Yeah. Woo! Garden Fox. Action Comics number 268, September 1960. A movie studio pulls a publicity stunt with multiple girls in Supergirl outfits, except they all have redhead wigs. And um, Supergirl thinks that there's just a bunch of Supergirls doing stuff, and really it's just a publicity stunt. And what I find really weird about this is 
no one knows of the existence of Supergirl. So they just mm-hmm. assume that there is a Supergirl character for them to work with and they make it, which is like super coincidental, I guess. Um, but at this, also at this time, uh, Kara is interning at the Daily Planet while Clark is away on assignment. And so she gets to meet Perry White and a bunch of other people and she proves that she's a really smart girl and Perry White's like, when you grow up, you have a job here. And I'm like, that's cool. Perry White's a good dude. Uh, like let's actually reflect on that for a minute there because the way that she demonstrates she's smart is she exposes that the supergirl who shows up to the office is not actually super it's just like hey here's some kryptonite it's actually paper mache deal with it uh and can we just imagine for a minute the head if he had actually run with the interview (laughs) and then it comes out oh yeah no she was there and she wasn't actually super like that. How often do you think that newspapers in the DC and uh, Marvel universes get taken in on fake superheroes just in general? Ooh, how, how many retractions they have to print? Ooh, yeah, <laughs> like a retraction instead of a retraction uh, page. It's a retraction section. Uh, retractions. This guy was not a superhero. This guy is actually a criminal. This guy was wrongfully accused. This guy is now actually the criminal. <laughs> <laughs> that's all it is oh man every single time that uh like there's superman went none superman went uh evil for a day oh no retraction 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 retraction, <laughs> retraction lex Luthor. um <laughs> I, I like the idea that once oh no see here's here's the other side if it's a quiet news day and they already they've gotten so used to having like multiple pages of retractions or even just a large section and it's like uh Nothing went wrong today. We don't have anything to fill this space. Let's just increase the font size and retraction. <laughs> Fuck this guy. <laughs> Perry White, incredibly petty with his newspaper. Uh, Action Comics number 269, October 1960. Jero, everyone gets a mermaid boyfriend. Um, yep. Supergirl meets Lori Lamaris. You remember Superman's ex, who's also a mermaid? And she helps the Atlanteans with something, and in doing so, she meets Jero, the super hunky mermaid boy, and the two of them become embroiled in a cute uh, heartthrob romance for teenagers. And um, she kills, a, a, like, an ectoplasmic creature. So that's body count one for Supergirl. She kills a creature in the ocean that is part of this, you know, th- threat that she's stopping. And there's also just some kid named Freddy who's trying to prove that she's Supergirl as well, I guess. There's like a number of children who are trying to prove that she is like related or, you know, not normal. It's very strange. And we and they also don't have the same name, so it's not the same child. <laughs> Unlike That's the thing that gets me is we're not getting like a Lois Lane character who keeps returning. Uh can I tangent for a minute? Yeah, go ahead. So that's one of the things that sort of stuck out to me is we don't get consistent world building in the sense of like I, I bring up this example reasonably frequently but uh when doiby dickles came in ev- suddenly every single issue had doiby dickles uh there was something else that we talked about recently i think it might have been uh what's her name from uh challengers but oh here we have a similar situation yep where oh june june sorry or yeah good call uh where they introduce an element. Jerry Siegel introduces Streaky. Streaky only shows up twice in this entire block. Uh, we get characters who come in and like, oh, they're being positioned as uh, as 
Linda's uh, Lois Lane, like this character is going to show up and keep hounding them for their identity, shows up once gone, and then a couple issues later, someone else does the same role. Uh, really, the only character who's like come back, I guess, even uh, Jero is not consistently in stories yet is he because he shows up in two issues but are they sequential um i believe they are sequential but that's about it he's not he's not uh reno yeah at this point he's not reno um oh but his name has the same structure structure and he's also a vowel consonant consonant yeah uh vowel and he's not (laughs) a and he's also a, a half mer person much like wonder woman's atlantis no one is no one is like Atlant- is like Aquaman Atlanteans, despite Aquaman being the only story that frequently goes to Atlantis. Yep. I'm so bothered by that. Um, <laughs> You're wrong. Action Comics number two seventy, November nineteen sixty. Second to last story we're going to cover here. Kara um, Superman's a bunch in a single day and realizes that everything is actually just a, a hoax to get her away from stuff. So that Superman, Batman, and Robin, and the Atlanteans, Laurie and Jero, and I guess Laurie's husband uh, can throw her a surprise party for her birthday. Kara is now sixteen years old. Hooray! Happy birthday. Action Comics number two seventy one, December nineteen sixty. Kara builds a fortress of solitude in the desert, but is discovered by tomb plunderers. And uh, the guy who leads the expedition mind wipes everybody on the expedition but himself, and then blackmails Supergirl with her secret identity. But then Streaky saves her by X-ray visioning him and his wife to, into forgetting. So he he like performs like a lobotomy on them, and um, yep. yeah. That's a thing that happens. So that's the last story that we cover. We're going to go over just a little bit the abilities of Kara Zor-El. So Kara has, you know, the ability to break the time barrier. She can fly. She's invulnerable. She's super strong. She has the x-ray vision slash heat vision. Um, She has a Linda Lee robot that is in a tree outside of the orphanage. And the off chance she has to Supergirl elsewhere and not be seen, but doesn't want to, you know... Uh, try and have to worry about explaining where Linda Lee went, which is a very Superman thing, which to me, I'm, I'm wondering if Superman built that for her because she has no mm-hmm. ability to build that with any of the, abil- the stuff that she has available to her. So I'm wondering if if Clark was like, look, if you have to Supergirl, if you have to save somebody, I'm going to give you a robot to, to be your alibi, which is nice of him. Um, we already talked about how messed up it is that Clark basically forces his do- his cousin to be this so that he can have a secret weapon, which is kind of fucked up, to make your cousin pretend to be somebody else so that you have power. And also, how messed up that orphanage is at times when it tries to make these children prove their worth for love. Um, there's one There's one singular power that Kara Zor-El has that Clark does not, and she has super feminine intuition. And I'm it. So this is specifically the uh, bit that we talked about with uh, the kryptonite paper mache uh, finding yes. out the the publicity stunt. I I mean it's it's in that range where it's like I could imagine them being 100% earnest when they wrote that. I could also imagine it being just oh this is just a joke she's making. Like I 
I mean, I, I never give them the benefit of the doubt when it comes to, well, anything. Uh, yeah. But, like, it's in that weird middle zone of you could have actually meant this or maybe not. Yeah. It's, it's very dubious, but it really comes down to just being deus ex machina power. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's not harmful in the sense that they're trying to say something about women. It's more just lazy writing because it's like, okay, Kara can at times just guess that this is the right thing to do. And she's more right than normal because she's Supergirl. So it's it's that's kind of how they 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 play it off. And that's not terrible. It's just stupid. Like, you know, it's not offensive. It's not sexist. It's just like, that's dumb. That's a it, dumb thing. Like <laughs> it basically like then and other times she just kind of acts like she has gambler's instincts of yeah. knowing when knowing when to call and when to let it ride. Exactly. And I, and I'm okay with it. I think it's just a goofy silver age thing. There there mm-hmm. have been worse things that we have seen than oh, Supergirl yeah. having super feminine intuition, which I think is honestly very cute for a kids thing. It just does not, it doesn't uh, work well in the universe that has more serious characters. It's kind of goofy. Um, Something I will state, however, which is kind of fun now that I was thinking about it. Let's run down who has sidekicks. Hmm. Superman, Hmm. Batman, Aquaman, Green Arrow, The Flash... Now, the people who don't have sidekicks, who have adults that pal around with them, specifically these are JLA members, Green Lantern, Martian Manhunter. The only two that do not have a adult pal around or sidekick are Wonder Woman and the Atom. Hmm. Wow, yeah, they really are building supporting casts. It's just weird that actually, so actually, often, no. Wonder Woman has Steve, so she has her adult pal around. <laughs> the only, the only one who, the the only one who doesn't is the Adam. I want to get that on like a candy heart. Will you be my adult, adult pal, pal around? around? <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. That should have been our Valentine's for this year. We should have done um, that. We should have given those to people. Will you be God, my adult pal around? <laughs> and it just has like Steve. And Thomas Kalmaku. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Solid. Loving it. Loving it. Loving it. Um, all right. Uh, so that's it for me. Uh, I'm assuming you have notes. We already have talked about your tangent regarding <laughs> certain stuff, uh, regarding her lack of consistent person trying to pursue her identity. And we've talked about how messed up that orphanage is and how messed up her whole identity hinges on Superman being having her as an ace in the hole. Is there anything else you've got? Uh, bits and pieces, bits and pieces. Okay. All right. So one of the ones that stood out the most to me, uh, we go back and forth between Supergirl's skirt being blue or red. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. It, it starts off as blue and it's usually blue, 
But there are times when it's red. Like there's an issue where on the cover it's red and on the inside, uh, the Super Baby one. It's like on the cover uh, they have a also Super Baby little like splash starburst on the cover. And in that the skirt is red. And in the main story, the skirt is blue. And then there are a couple of stories like shortly thereafter where the skirt is red in the main story. And what actually really entertains me is first off, like, if it were just an ink- inking error, like whatever, like I, it would be something to comment on and move past. But this is this entertains me a lot because there was let me bring it up a letter to the editor about the skirt color and talking about oh well that was that was an inking error. The very next page is the start of the story that she's in and she has the red uh, skirt. Uh, yeah dear editor how do you explain the cover of the january action comics which shows supergirl wearing a red skirt when everyone knows it is blue we guess the editor was exposed to red kryptonite (laughs) very next page splash page she's wearing a red skirt and eventually what they wind up doing is they just say in the letters to the editor um the skirt's reversible Sure. Which, yeah. You know what? Cool. Yeah, I, I like that answer. But Kryptonian for the uh, record, I, I am, <laughs> Kryptonian reversibility. Yeah, and this was also. It's also worth noting that the suit was made by uh, her parents, her Kryptonian parents. So it's like they had the foresight to be like, okay, we're going to make this a nice reversible skirt. We're going to give our daughter the chance to choose her own colors and go from there. Yeah. Um, but I am absolutely team red skirt. Like it does break it does break up the outfit more. One hundred percent. It's too much like bodysuit if you just have the blue all the way through. Well, it mimics the underoos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think I think that that also works too because Superman's underoos are red and her and her bottom bit should also be red. Mm-hmm. Let's see what else do I have? A uh, bit of context for when this is happening. Um, like the first couple issues of Supergirl are uh, paralleling when there's the Bizarro two-parter where Bizarro gets created and then he leaves Earth. And then a couple issues later, there's the story where uh, Superman goes to Bizarro world and then makes it a cube and all that. Uh, so that's this is roughly the timeline we're talking about. Right, yeah. Just kind of in general, I like these stories. I didn't like them as much as like the uh, elongated man stories. Like there have been a couple recently where it, we just kind of walked out of them saying these were fun. These were easy to read. These were easy to read. They were not as fun for me, but they were still solid. So in particular, like the the solutions to problems were enjoyably gimmicky. Stuff like oh yeah, like throw. Cr- Throw some fake kryptonite at this fake Supergirl, and that will expose them. Like, I the the fact that the character is so grounded, right, uh, and restricted in scope. Like, all of this is relatively low stakes. Uh, I, all of that creates a structure where the solutions are believable, or if nothing else, they. They're believable with the internal logic of the story. It's not just, oh, out of left field. But they're also creative. And I like that. It's like, honestly, that's been part of the good, the Silver Age stories that I've enjoyed since we started with Aquaman. Of, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's creative. But I can see where you're going with like electric eels can do this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, 
Absolutely. And, and I think, I think that's the thing too, is, is these aren't phenomenal, but they're, these are much more Saturday morning cartoon and I, I'm okay with it. You know, I'll agree with that to a degree, but I think there's another piece of Saturday morning cartoon that isn't there that actually is there in like the main Superman stories or the main Wonder Woman stories. Like they're not the one where X happens. It's, or at least it's not set up in that way of like that super gimmicky uh, Superman has to grant three wishes. We don't get any of those in this. Yeah. Uh, it's the gimmicks happen within the stories. It's not the setup of the story. Yeah. I, I yeah, I think you're right there. And to some degree I'm repeating myself because that absolutely is what happened with the wonder woman versus wonder girl stories. Like it's, the more that we go through the Silver Age, the more it feels like there really is a formula that they're sticking with really heavily of, okay, introduce the younger character who is much more grounded and we enjoy them more because of the way those go. Uh, honestly, probably some of that is because the editors are so powerful that they're finding one thing a couple things that work and replicating them across the lines but that's entirely hypothetical yeah and yeah <laughs> it's these are these are very these are very interesting um kind of blips in the radar because we, we we didn't read superboy mm-hmm. so we don't really know if these are in the same vein of superboy I suspect that superboy is going to be a little bit more like the main superman stories but I don't know that for sure Probably, um, but yeah, we don't know. I'm I'm currently looking right now to see if I can if we can get Superboy on Amazon. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. Oh yeah, is, is Superboy. If not, then uh, it looks it, like Legion. It might even be worth looking at whether there's Superboy on uh, DC Universe. Good point. Yeah. Uh, I gotta call this one out because it comes up a couple times in the letters column, and it's it's not good. It's not good. So, you know how there's always been an undercurrent, even before New 52, of, well, obviously Wonder Woman and Superman should get together because they're both the same, like, power level. Ooh, no. There's... Oh, no. There's an undercurrent of Superman and Supergirl, like... If enough that it comes up, like the first letter that I noticed this in was actually about, hey, thank you for making them cousins so that we don't have to deal with people talking about like, oh, Superman and Supergirl should get married. Thank you for making them related. Uh, and then smartly, the editor like points out back like, thank you for noticing that. But also, aren't you overlooking the main reason why there can never be a romance between the two? Superman is old enough to be Supergirl's father. It's like also, I, I also not that. Also not that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm glad that they're that the editors are calling that out. But uh, there's definitely there's just it just keeps coming up every once in a while. Like there's another one of uh, someone like someone points out that eh, I mean technically cousins can get married in a lot of states. Uh, it. If nothing else, there are people who think there are a vocal small minority of people who think that Superman and Supergirl should get together and it's just fucked. Yeah. 
Uh, one good thing that does come out of the letters column, though, is uh, Midvale is a suburb of Metropolis. I did not realize that from the comic. Yeah. Yeah, they don't really actually talk about that at all, but that's interesting. Hooray, fictional geography. Yeah. Uh, oh, <laughs> an entertaining one. Uh, so there's a bit where... I don't remember which group of crooks it is, but a group of crooks are escaping in Metropolis and they do a little license plate switch mm-hmm. and the plate they switch to is a New York plate. Like <laughs> it's got that structure uh, and they justify it in the letters column as eh, they were tourists from out of town. <laughs> but it's like, oh, oh, I, kn- I know what you did. Like you just looked for, oh, this is what license plates look like. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Didn't Damn think it. About that. Damn it. Oh, that's Let's funny. See. Another interesting thing about the letters column, they're often using it as a place to announce upcoming stories or changes in format. Like they'll do, uh, that's a good question you ask. Uh, Check the November issue of Adventure Comics for a story that addresses just that point kind of thing. Hmm. Uh, And when they they change the structure, uh, these issues were, the first couple were three stories per issue of Superman, Supergirl, and Kongorilla. And then uh, Congarello moved over to Adventure and it became just Superman and Supergirl comics. Uh, And they used that space as like, oh, this is sort of where all of this happens. So it's interesting going back through letters columns because honestly, that was something I grew up with. But now, now that I think about it, like I did a lot of my comics reading as graphic novels once... I got a little bit older and absolutely those didn't have letters columns. Yep. That's, that's, that's how I have a lot of my, my reading as well is primarily through volume. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's the way the industry went. It, it made that shift. And frankly, it's extremely unsatisfying to read a single issue of a modern comic usually because it's so short and you pay three bucks for it. No. Well, more than that for most. Yeah, unfortunately, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I want to. I want to spend some time uh, with a DC Universe subscription and sit down and just blaze through the entirety of the Nightwing run. Ooh. But uh, another day. Uh, one other thing that's worth noting: the word "dude" comes up a couple times, mm-hmm. and it's interesting because it's uh, it's clearly a different way of using it than we do now. Uh, at this time, dude was like a wannabe. It comes from wealthy urbanites going to dude ranches where they'd get like a sanitized taste of cowboy life. A fancy person in the wrong context. Hmm. And that's why the <laughs> when uh, when Streaky is going around in his, oh, I'm, I'm so powerful, yay, and sees a big dog in the city. And it's like, the dog's like, I don't like seeing like dudes running around in my neck of the woods. It's like, because he's got a cape and everything on. <laughs> That's funny. I like yeah. that. Uh, and then it becomes like, as we know it these days, uh, apparently relatively late, but like sur- surfer lingo and the West Coast like picks it up probably around this time. Dude is just kind of being, dude. Um, this was something that hurt me scientifically and I had to share so there's a bit the story where where Supergirl is trying to build up an immunity to kryptonite by getting closer and closer. It ends up with them both uh, stranded in a tunnel with kryptonite and 
just like, ah, oh, shit, we're stuck. Uh, and they they deal with it by melting some gold onto the kryptonite and then using their combined X-ray vision as an quote as an atomic ray to turn the gold atoms into lead atoms, and the lead then stops blocks the uh, kryptonite radiations. Yep, that is nuclear fusion. <laughs> that doesn't you're not just like oh we changed the structure it's no those are different elements that is nuclear fusion you are adding three protons and three electrons presumably electrons to that those atoms that has a lot of explosive potential not just potential like that puts out a whole bunch of energy what are you thinking yeah that's that's firestorms bailiwick guys leave that right, to him yeah. leave that to firestorm oh uh, I'm going to give you guys a phrase because this worked really well for describing uh, the kind of humor in Arrested Development and uh, someone and Romy go to their high school reunion. There, there was a movie that we watched Ro- recently. Yeah, that Romy and Michelle. This, yes. It didn't resonate with me, but uh, a lot of that is I haven't, I am not a big fan of like embarrassment humor, uh, awkward humor. And the the line that someone used to describe it that I'm just going to keep in mind is embarrassment porn. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, how, so did, how did we get here? To you that word. <laughs> how did we get Sorry? to embarrassment porn? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Uh, the bit with uh, when Streaky keeps losing his powers but trying to show off for the kid. Mm, mm-hmm, and it's just mm-hmm. like... He's always like, guys, come check this out. Streaky does just did this thing, and then Streaky can't do the thing because the uh, crypt- Kryptonite X effect has only lasted a very short period of time. And it's just like, oh, kid, you, no, don't, don't bring them in to look. Just like get a photo or something. Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of of those either, personally. Let's see, I do have written down. Everyone gets a mermaid significant other. Yep, I did that too. <laughs> we cannot escape yep. it in the Silver Age. Thanks, Julie Schwartz. Yeah. The one last little commentary thing, and then I've got a, two little random asides. Uh, so one thing that I really appreciate is there's the story where she's going back in time and collecting a whole bunch of treasures and stuff to pay off the archaeologists who are trying to blackmail her after discovering the Fortress of Solitude. And specifically when she goes back in time, she is choosing to steal from, quote, uh, this evil tribe, the cruelest in all history, uh, and then also from the Mongols. It's like, you know what? If you're going to tomb rob, I appreciate that you're doing it from shitty people. Yep. Nope. That is that is definitely 100% okay. And then I've got two random asides because uh, and actually both of them came up within the first very short period of time because uh, just there was stuff early on about uh, lead shielding that I just went on a rabbit hole on. So first off, lead actually isn't a good shield for all forms of radiation. It doesn't absorb uh, neutron radiation well and beta radiation, which gets emitted by fission byproducts will actually cause lead to admit arguably worse uh, Bremsstrahlung uh, radiation. 
So don't just if you're writing a story about radiation, don't just use lead as like a stop all. It might stop many, but there are it is not the only kind of uh, shielding, and it certainly isn't good for all things. Hmm. And then from there, I got to thinking about how many units of measurement are named after scientists. Hmm. specifically practical physicists, I think. I can't think of as many examples in, like, computation or astrophysics, etc. But, like, Newtons of force, Curies and Becquerels of radiation, the joule in electricity, Pascals for pressure, amps from André-Marie Ampère, uh, Teslas and Coulombs, Avogadro's number, degrees Kelvin, Fahrenheit and Celsius, Hertz, decibels after Alexander Graham Bell, watts, volts, ohms of resistance immortality isn't in an invention it's being the standard against which all future inventions are measured hmm like i was legit trying to think of this like in terms of computation i don't i can't think of any that are named after people like you certainly get like uh tropes like moore's law kind of things i guess moore's law is probably the closest i can think of but it feels like I can't think of any computation stuff or well, astrophysics stuff. Pythagorean theorem. Mm. That's true. Yeah, I guess, well, that, that's true. From a theorem side, you definitely start getting into that. That's yeah, true. I think that's more where you're going to see that. But yeah, like bits, bytes. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually a little bit surprised in retrospect that the person who came up with like the, the idea of the bit didn't name that after themselves maybe they have less ego i wonder yeah it might i wonder if there is that like cult the culture of uh i discovered this therefore i should get the credit uh that but also like how early open source goes like that sort of almost anonymous style of i Hey, everybody can contribute to this. I wonder. I wonder if that. Hmm. I, I don't know. Like, I would be interested to know. Like, that kind of early hacker mentality, early uh, computational uh, scientist uh, mentality, is not something I know a ton about. Like, mostly I know about that stuff through like the lens of games. When you get uh, things like early shareware with Doom, that's more my bailiwick. Hmm. For the record, uh, I think it's Lords of Doom, Masters of Doom. I don't remember. Uh, there's a book about uh, about its software in its early days that I love and will absolutely recommend. Is that the start of our recommendations? Hmm. You know, it might be like. I don't really have any real recommendations that come to mind other than that. Uh, other than I'm playing a I'm playing a timer game. It's like a, it's a Farmville like except it's dragons and it makes me happy. Yeah, those but are always fun. It's I mean fundamentally it's just collect the dragons, which that that's the only thing that's different about it. And that's that's all that I need. But yeah, let me bring up uh, Masters of Doom. Uh, let me see if I can find the name of it. Yeah, Masters of Doom. Uh, how two guys created an empire and transformed pop culture. Uh, I read that at about the same time as I read The Dirt, which is Motley Crue's autobio. 
And it's got the same kind of feel of being very, very anecdote driven. Uh, Hey, here's all these stories about what it was like when we first realized, oh, we can do scrolling. Like Mm. they there was a night where they remade uh, Super Mario Brothers on a computer instead of on a console. Uh, And the degree to which that like was a huge thing. Like we're in an era now where a console, a phone, a desktop, a laptop, they're all just computers. So fundamentally they're all running the same kinds of things just with different user interfaces and different optimizations. But there was a time where that was not the case where a computer had such different hardware and that this was a huge thing. And Honestly, I definitely recommend Masters of Doom and Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. Uh, Blood, Sweat, and Pixels is more of a modern book. Uh, It's actually by uh, Jason Schreier, who who, uh, contributes to Kotaku a lot. Uh, And it's all about, like, within the past 10 or 15 years, here are stories of making games and, frankly, how it's amazing that games get made at all. Like, Stardew Valley is one that he looks at. uh, Shovel Knight is another, and mm. actually Halo. Uh, actually, I guess it probably isn't Halo. It's probably Destiny, but it's an interesting look behind, a little bit behind the scenes, both at like the startup side of things and the super indie stuff, and also let's some that are more of the corporate side. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I will recommend the new Carmen Sandiego cartoon that is on Netflix right uh-huh. now. Um, I, I, I like it. Um, it's very, it does a good job of still being informative, um, and working in the information that they're trying to teach you, um, into the plot, which is honestly the, to me, a really big trademark of like good writing. It's like, not only can you be informative, but you can also work in the information and the education into a compelling story. Um, I've only seen a couple episodes, but I liked what I saw. Um, and I think, I think it's worth just checking out and seeing it because the animation is really cool and I dig the animation a lot. Um, but yeah, I think it's fun if you're looking for something to like binge watch really quickly through or like watch with your kid. I would definitely recommend the new Carmen San Diego cartoon on Netflix. And I saw it just got confirmed for a second season. Oh, uh, that's cool. Good. Good for them. All right, that will do it for us for this episode. Next episode, we're going to finish up Supergirl, and then we're going to start looking at some other characters again, probably Adam Strange, um, maybe the Legion of Superheroes, not sure yet. Uh, But we do have plenty of characters to go through that we haven't done as we catch back up to our yardstick. And then once we get to Green Lantern and Flash, we'll be heading back into the Justice League. So uh, we hope you all have a wonderful... A couple of weeks until the next episode, and we'll see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'd been to space in the distant past with Supergirl, but even then, her adventures had been grounded. Her stakes were more personal, adoptions and identities, instead of wishes and bizarro clones. It made the Superman stories we'd read seem almost childish in comparison. Now that Linda had a returning flame, the stage was set for her world to expand. We headed home for the night, 
ready for another round of stories tomorrow.